You, I was, yeah, I was moving my toes. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. All right. Um, as we begin our new series today, I'm really excited about it. We're calling it God's Redeeming Love. And uh, before we, we really get into this, I want to set this up for everyone this morning. Uh, so as you can tell, this book is, uh, this book, this series is going to be about Hosea, and we're calling it God's Redeeming Love. Um, and the book of Hosea plays out during the final decades of the of the 8th century BC. You have to understand the northern kingdom of Israel is is enjoying a season of prosperity and and just some awesome blessings are happening. And this this time of, of prosperity is happening also during a time of a political turmoil and unrest. Here we are introduced to a prophet who is attentive to the Lord's commands. His name is Hosea, which means salvation. Israel has lost their spiritual way, and God has chosen Hosea to bring judgment upon the Israelites. Hosea's life takes an unexpected turn when he's called by the Lord to marry a woman. And not just any woman, um, but he's called to marry Gomer. And you guys can read all about Gomer, and you're going to hear about Gomer and what kind of person she was in the weeks ahead as well. Um, but uh, if, if you're looking for something to do this week, go ahead and read that first part of, of Jose. You'll find, find all, about, um, all about her. It's a good read, uh, to say the least. So Hosea meets Gomer, and before the Lord um, declares a commitment to love her and to cherish her until death do them part. This is a marriage made in heaven. It's a a beautiful picture, a bride standing by her bridegroom. In many ways, it's a story that could have perhaps ended at the altar with the couple's first kiss and the rolling credits of of a movie saying they lived happily ever after. This, however, is not a story you'll find in any novel, or one that is made in the back lots of a Hollywood studio. It's a tale of true love. It's real, and it's emotional. Hosea and Gomer's marriage is a symbol of the Lord's covenantial covenantial relationship with Israel. Hosea represents the faithfulness of the Lord who pursues a bride of inequity. Israel is, is Gomer, the rebellious and unfaithful bride who is unrelenting in her deceit. The book of Hosea is a story all about God's redemption. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we are. We're so thankful that we just have this opportunity this morning to to come before you and hear your word. We're thankful just for for our Galaxy kids who are, are leading worship this morning. And God, this morning as we bring God's word, we pray that our hearts and our minds are open to hear your word. May we learn and grow from what you would have us um, learn today. God, thank you for this opportunity that you've given us. God, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as, as you can tell this morning, we're doing something a little bit different. There's Three of us up here, we're all fathers, and so we thought it appropriate that we should be able to talk about Hosea and Gomer's three children. And so this morning, we're each going to talk about one of the children that you read in um, the beginning part of Hosea. It's in Hosea chapter 1. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can go ahead and open your Bibles there um, so you can read along. And so, uh, and I'm going to start off in the second verse of Hosea, and it kind of sets the scene of what we want to talk about today. And so in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, if you're reading along, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, the land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dilblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. 
Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer would conceive two more times, and, and, uh, and we're going to get into those two more times as John and Tom are up here. They're going to talk about those things, those two other times. Um, but I'm going to focus on that first name in there, Jezreel. I'm going to focus on that one. Jezreel was named after a place in Israel. And, and I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. Listen very carefully. Jehu was king of Jezreel, and he did exactly what God wanted him to do. But he didn't do it the way he wanted God to do it. The massacre that Hosea 1.4 references refers to when all of King Ahab's family was killed. And you can read all about that. That It was actually, if you like blood and guts and rule, this is a great story for you. It's in 2 Kings chapter 10. You can read all about that. But the problem, though, is that King Jehu handled the massacre in his own way. He, he was very selfish about the way he handled it. He, God wanted him to do it, but he, he handled it the way that he wanted it to. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I mean. 2 Kings chapter 10 Verse 5 and 6 says this, So the palace administrator, the city governor, the elders and the guardians sent this message to Jehu. We are your servants and we will do anything you say. We will not appoint anyone as king. You do whatever you think is best. That sounds like a very selfish statement to me. You do whatever you think is best. Then Jehu wrote them a second letter saying, If you are on my side and will obey me, take the heads of your master's sons and come to me in Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Jehu is doing God's work Jehu's way. He's not doing God's work God's way. Aren't we sometimes like that? Aren't we sometimes a lot like that? We as often, we, we as humans, we so often look for shortcuts in life, don't we? we? We have a problem and we look for the easiest and the most shortest way to get around that problem. We look for the easy way out. Uh, take math, for example. Now, anyone who knows me knows I probably shouldn't be up here talking about math. I'm <laughs> terrible at it. I hate it. Worst subject ever. Here's the thing about math, though. And we do this all the time, right? Like in math, there's, there's different ways to get to, to an answer a lot of times. There's different ways to solve an equation. But you know and I know sometimes our teachers and our bosses say, hey, I need you to do it this way. And for whatever reason, we've got to do it the long way. But we do this all, we do, not just math, we do it with everything. We do this oftentimes with God's call in our lives. He may have some great plans for us, right? He's, uh, he wants us to do something spectacular in the kingdom of God. And what do we do? We're kind of lazy about it. We take shortcuts. But I wonder when we take those shortcuts, are we really honoring and glorifying them in that way? How would you feel if John got up here every single week and, and kind of opened his Bible and said, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, I'm preaching on this, on this scripture? We, we wouldn't he want to do that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, what if he had no preparation? There was no time of study. That would be lazy. We wouldn't expect that out of our minister. What if our worship team came up here every week and they didn't practice? You wouldn't appreciate that very much. <laughs> what if our Sunday school teachers did this? They didn't prepare for their lessons. God calls us to prepare. 
He calls us to serve in a way, and he expects us to be to it to be done with a, with a sense of excellence. Some of us do this with God's word, and I think this is where it gets really dangerous when we start getting lazy with God's word. We know what His word says about about certain subjects, right? We we try to skew it to convince ourselves of what it really means. This we do this when it comes to baptism. We do this when it comes to to serving in the church. We do this when it comes to to marriage. We do this when it when it comes to uh, to taking God's word outside the church walls, right? Oh, it doesn't really mean go tell your neighbors about God. That's not really my neighbor, is it? And we try to convince ourselves that it really says something different. But that's lazy, and that's wrong. It's not God's way. I don't really have to go out and serve God, do I? That's not really what he wants me to do. Jehu, king of Jezreel, suffered the consequences of not doing things God's way, and we will too if we serve half-hearted. Do what the Bible says. Serve him with excellence. He sent his very best for you. He sent his very best to, to die a brutal death for you on the cross. And now it's time we should go and give our very best back. Hosea chapter 1, verse 6, tells us that Gomer conceived again and, and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Why would you name your baby girl not loved? That is harsh. We read here in Hosea that, that his second child is a daughter, and, and I want to make this really clear. Um, there's no real significance pertaining to the fact that she was a daughter. Okay, there's no significance of whether he had a son or a daughter. The, but there's a lot to be said about her name. And Dr. James Smith writes in his book on the Minor Prophets that she is given the name Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. But it also, when you really break it down, it means she has not obtained mercy. And, and so it, at first glance, when you look at that, she has not obtained mercy, not loved. Uh, the she that is being referred to there is not this baby girl. I want to make that very clear. The she that is referred to is the house of Israel. Lo Ruhamah signifies that Yahweh, the God of, our, of the Old Testament, Yahweh would no more show compassion on the house of Israel. Now, why is this a big deal? Because God has continually shown compassion to the house of Israel. Uh, or the northern kingdom, if you will. You remember back a few weeks ago in the story, we talked about how the nation of Israel was divided into the northern and the southern kingdom. And, and the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, even though they, they went through, through some really weird things, God was still showing compassion and mercy on them, even during the reign of Jeroboam, but no longer. And, and we're not just talking about your basic compassion here. We're not just talking about God, you know, maybe given a provision the focal point, when you break this down to its root cause, to its root meaning, is this. In this name, it has to do with forgiveness of sins. Not just, oh, I feel bad for you. I'll have compassion on you. It has to do with forgiveness of sins. Basically, this name is saying to Israel, God will no longer overlook or forgive their sin. It's time for accountability. This, this name is a big deal when Hosea brings forth the second baby and, and presents the name of his child. Now, this seems like a harsh thing for the Lord to decree, especially in the name of a little girl. 
But we have to understand there are consequences for our actions. And for many years, the house of Israel has looked to other gods. For many years, the house of Israel has, has worshipped other idols. For many years, they've, they've asked for kings. Give us a king, Lord. We're rejecting you. They've turned away from Yahweh. And now, through the prophecy of Hosea and the birth and naming of his daughter, God is saying to Israel, if that's how you want it, that's what you're going to get. You've continuously looked elsewhere. You've spiritually lost your way. And if you will no longer look toward me, you're going to be like Gomer, Hosea's wife. Then I will remove my compassion from you. God just said to Israel, I will remove my compassion from you. You know, the same thing holds true for us. Even as Christians, I need to warn you, when we continually look away from God, when we continually turn to other comforts, to idols, to other things, when we no longer put God first in our lives, we cannot expect Him to still show favor on us. That's selfish. That's not how the relationship works. He will not make us love Him. He will not force us to serve Him, to follow Him. But we have to remember what the nation of Israel forgot. A relationship with God has two sides. And that our God, Yahweh, keeps his word. And all through the Old Testament, time and time again, we're, we, we see where, where God tells people, if you walk before me in obedience, if you walk before me in faith, if you walk before me, I will keep my word. I will keep my promises. But if you choose to rebel against me, I will keep my promise. God will keep his promise. Speaking of promises, there's, there's one last part to the promise of this name, Lo Ruhamah. And when you look at verse 7, it says, Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. Even though the tribe of Judah is going to face the same Assyrian armies that destroyed Israel, in the case of God's compassion for Judah, Yahweh promises to deliver them. He's not going to deliver them through another battle. He's not going to deliver them through horses or war. But he has promised to deliver them by his hand. This promise right here in Hosea is a prophecy of the deliverance of Judah from Sennacherib in 701 B.C. So here's what we need to understand. Even when God is getting the attention of his wayward people, he's also offering a way out. For those who are walking before him in obedience. So far we've learned the meaning of the names of Hosea's first two children. And in chapter 1 verse 8. The Bible tells us that after she had weaned Lo Ruhamah. Gomer had another child. A son. I wonder what the meaning of his name is. She conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Nahem, lo am I. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Hosea now has a third child, and the name of this child is Loami. The name means, as the text says, you are not my people, and I'm not your God. Hard name. Severe words. These names are pronounced upon the nation of Israel. The nation 
had rejected God as king and started down a path of destruction with many kings leading the nation and worshiping false gods, as we've said. So Yahweh was no longer their God, and they, because of their faithlessness, were no longer his people. Some have the wrong idea that just because you're part of the nation of Israel that you're automatically a child of God. But such an idea has never been true. God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of their faith, not because of their race. God is holy. His spirit is holy. And Israel was to be a holy nation. But they were not a holy people as a nation. They did not want to be like him. Therefore, they were not his people. In John 8, 44, Jesus echoes this concept of spiritual sonship. The spirit of a son being like the spirit of a father. He tells the Jewish leaders in John 8, 44, he says, that you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. You see, you're a child of who you're like. They were not his people because they were not his children spiritually. There was a remnant that was faithful, and they were his people. Romans states clearly that those were the real Israel, the Jew who is one inwardly. Hosea 1.10 looks forward to that time and predicts them. It says, Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, that's the Gentiles, that's us, it will be said to them, you are sons of the living God. The prophet looks forward to a time when the faithful few in Israel and the faithful among the nations would come into the kingdom of God and be his people, the church. The truth of spiritual sonship continues in the New Testament, the New Covenant, Romans 9, 22. I want you to look at this text here. It says, What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and make, no, make His power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? That's the nation of Israel. And He did so to make known the riches of His glory upon vessels of mercy. That's the church. Which He prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom He also called not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. He also says in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. 
Um, let me lost my place. <clears throat> and just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of Sabbath had left us a posterity, we would become like Sodom. We would have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but though it were by works. It's works of the law that he's talking about there. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is risen. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Those of us who believe in Jesus are not disappointed. Is anyone here disappointed in the Jesus that you know? No. I'm not disappointed in him. God is a peacemaker. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus proclaimed, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do we have to be like him in order to be in his family? Yes. You are a child of who you're like. Romans 11.22 says this, Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity. But to you, kind, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. God is severe. God is kind. <laughs> He's kind. I, I wanted you to hear me. God is gracious. I need his kindness. I need his grace. But to show that I've learned anything from him, I need to show that kindness. Or else I don't know him. He wants us to change. That's what redeeming is, to redeem us, to bring us back to him. He can't leave us where we are. Hosea could not leave Gomer where she was. He needed to bring her back. 1 John 4 says this. The Bible says that God is love, right? So we don't have to love since God's all love. He's got it all. He does it all. God's all love, right? So we don't have to do any love, right? No. Listen to this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God. He's talking about Christians here. He's talking to Christians about Christians. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God has been manifested to us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, that He loved us and sent His Son to be our propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. That's grace. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is talking to Christians here, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We've come to know God and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love, his perfect love, casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And look at this verse very closely. We love... Because he first loved us. That's our motivation. But that's what we do. If someone says, I, I love God. I have, I, I'm going to put some parentheses in. I have, I, have a, I have a personal relationship with God. I, I have, I, I have, I've experienced God. I love God. And hates his brother. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. But what is love? Well, we know where that chapter is, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But look back in verse 1 through 3. It says, As if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. How important it is for us to be like the Father. God is love. 
By this will all men know that you have learned anything from me, Jesus says. By this, one, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. This is not some religious fling. Christianity is not some summer love. This is not some romantic existential experience that we're trying to seek, some feelings that we're trying to seek out for the rest of our life. If I do not have love, I don't know God. If you do not have love, you do not know God. If we as a church do not love, we do not know God. I have one more scripture to show you, Romans eight fourteen. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. And this is the point. This is not something, look at the, look at the, I like birds. The word being right there. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Not were led, not some lofty idea will be led in the future somewhere. Here, today, being led by the Spirit of God. Our spirit being like His. Being holy, being patient, being kind, being love. If we do that, if we're led by His Spirit, we are sons of God. Talking to Christians. If you want to learn from Jesus, if you want to learn what his way is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, if you want to learn to obey all that he has commanded, you know what? You're our type of people. That's the type of people that we have here. If you don't want to be that type of person, I think you might be in the wrong place. Because we're going to be Christians here. Our Father is in heaven, and He's holy. And we say, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. Our children are going to help us to worship the Father at this time. You know, there are many things to be said. There are many things to be said about Hosea. And usually when we get into the book of Hosea, everybody looks at how horrible Gomer was. And, and where we got off on this is that we wanted to look at how awesome our God is. And that's, that's where this whole thing is going with his redeeming love. You know, there are many names in the Bible. The, the three names of Gomer and Hosea's son, sons and daughter are just a few. All the names in the Bible have a significance, a connection, or a definition to a relationship with or without God. I love when I find a name in Scripture and then learn what the meaning of that name is and see what's going on culturally or spiritually around that name like we just did here this morning. One of my favorite names that we read about in the New Testament is the name Christian. It it, it means called out. It means the called out ones. That's what we become when we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we make that confession of faith... And then when we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of our sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're given the best name ever, Christian. We're we're like our Father, like Tom was saying. We are like our Father at that point. If you'd like a new name today, now 
as we are led in worship by our young people, respond by coming forward. The baptistry is ready. If you'd like prayer and accountability with something in your life, the elders are here. They'd love to talk with you. They'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to partner with us here at Huntsville Christian Church, now's a good time for that response. But you have to understand, like Tom said, it requires something. It's not just you signing your name on a paper to say, I'm a member. Now's a good time to make one of those choices. If you'll stand and sing with us and respond to God's word, will you stand and sing? Amen. There you have it. Well done, ladies. Hey, I got to tell you, yes, I did video you. You may see it here in-house. If we meet the offering goal for VBS, we won't put it on the internet. How that's fair, right? Fair? Okay, there you have it. So, you know, and we won't link it to your Facebook or your work account if we meet the offering goal. That's even better. Hey, seriously, it's been great to, to be here with you all and to worship with you and and to have some fun today and, and um, to start out in Hosea to, to learn a little bit about God's redeeming love. But now it's time to go. As you go this week, go knowing that we serve a God who keeps his promises. And we serve a God who has a relentless desire to have a relationship with us. That's why he calls us his own. Go today, enjoy your family, but represent your heavenly father by living out the name that he gave you. Have a great week. Thanks.